That's how I feel. That's how I feel, Matthew. It's exactly how I feel. What a beautiful day. Whoever put in the order, thank you. It is perfect. And if you need a seat, there are a few seats um, here. Um, I can see them. So if you need a chair, um, do come this way because there's some in here. You're at, where the hands are up, there are some, there's some seats next to those folks. Um, so don't be uncomfortable. And it's nice to have an, an overflow of a crowd. So wonderful. Um, sometimes John can be a little circuitous, a little bit of a puzzle to read. So let me just break it down for you, right? What we just heard. James Baldwin says it this way. Every human being is an unprecedented miracle. Every human being is an unprecedented miracle. As Jesus says, I and you and you and me, all of us in God, unprecedented miracle. And therefore, our hearts must break when life is lost. The church lost another one of its titans this week. This church, Charlie Wright, deliverer of babies, companion and advocate for people with mental illness, a delightful, brilliant, one-of-a-kind, unprecedented miracle. If you don't know him or didn't know of him, do ask around. One-of-a-kind. The elementary school children of Uvalde, Texas, unprecedented miracles lost to their dear, dear families. Please continue to pray for them and let us do everything we can to stop this vile, chosen epidemic of gun violence in our country. Next week is the Sunday that we've set aside far in advance, but um, sort of prophetically in this time, that we had set aside to learn more. So after church, please do come. Please bring your friends and neighbors who were concerned. Um, and FAN has organized a, a great lunch and learn for us. And there's more about that in your bulletin. Bishop Jenny Anderson, um, who is a bishop from Ontario, an Anglican bishop, was speaking to the clergy conference of the clergy of Dallas, Texas last week and happened to be with them as that shooting in Uvalde was being announced and beginning to be understood. And she used this quote from the poet Jane Kenyon. The God of curved space, the dry God, is not going to help us, but only the sun whose blood spattered the hem of his mother's robe. God is with us. God with us is our God the God who weeps with us. So let us weep with our God. Now today, I'm gonna to tell you, it feels really good to be outside for the particular kind of soul searching that this Sunday calls for. So if you have quick answers to everything that happened, I'd invite you to pause for a minute. We have the good fortune of having jazz to disrupt any easy patterns you have of processing this kind of regular American horror. It is good to be slightly askance today. We're on the outside of the building, near that noise in the middle of our city. Jazz, like most American music, comes from black communities, communities of the enslaved, with perspective like the young girl in the reading from the Acts of the Apostles, our first reading, who it says had a spirit of divination, a connection to the universe in some way, and that's uncontested. She had it, it says, and it made her owners a lot of money, it says, 
And she, upon encountering our friend Paul, could not help but proclaim the truth that these men, Paul and Silas, were the slaves of Jesus and had the words of salvation. Now, you could imagine that would be some good news and Paul might like that affirmation, but that's not what happens. From Paul's reaction, he's pretty angry about it. It says that he's agitated. It seems that Paul had not intended to enter town in quite that way. He had a more elegant plan to win them all over, I'm sure, something smart and appropriate. And in his irritation, he commands that that truth-telling spirit come out of that child. It's a shocking reading, actually. And it obliges. The spirit leaves. But kind of a questionable um, technique on Paul's part because it kind of makes her point, right? That Paul has power over all of the spirits, this follower of Jesus. And so people believe. And Paul goes to jail, it says, for his effectiveness. He knew this wasn't the way to go. It was going to land him in jail. And he had had a more subtle plan, but it doesn't work out. And then it says the jail itself rejects him, like being spit out of a whale. But he and Silas, it says, liberated, unchained, free, remain seated. Just file that away for your own reflection um, in your life. They stay where they are, unchained as they are, within the walls of the prison whose doors have been flung open for them. Which, of course, we know this part of the story. It provokes the salvation of the jailer. Why would free people remain? So Paul isn't ready for the truth, it appears. He is not ready for the success of his mission. He had another plan. But no matter what he did, the universe colluded to proclaim his rightness, his innocence, the liberation of Jesus to the people through Paul. The jail literally attempts to spit him out. He has to decide to remain seated and somehow convince Silas that he too should remain seated. What a strange, strange man, and what a strange story. And despite all of that, or maybe because of it, Paul clearly doesn't want any of this, any of it. The jailer becomes a follower of Jesus. God witnesses to the power of God, the will of God, through Paul, despite Paul is the story. So would that we had such mystical powers that insisted on working through us or at our disposal at this time. I would take some this week, right? You and me, to call out the powers of life and death and in our perfect, humble obedience, our reluctance to lead others to the truth. Aren't we a little bit all like that? Wouldn't we like to be good? I would. Would that it were so that even in our outrage, those who would call out the truth in accusation before we have a plan, that our actions would only point to the truth in us, to the truth that should be proclaimed, could only point in one direction or have only one possible meaning. But we don't live in times like that, do we? We have to say those things, do them for the truth to be revealed. 
and what mystical readings we have today of people finding the way, which is what the early church called itself, the way, the path, seemingly inevitable, drawn on the path that Jesus had marked, but often despite the resistance of the closest followers of Jesus, we read today, the way, the path is revealed. But I hope you can hear how disrupting it was even for them. The great Paul is unsure, afraid. The good news disrupted things as they are, like jazz, a different kind of music than before. Did it really work? Was it just noise? Like taking the service outside to recall that those great pillars of stone were designed by people historically trying to recreate this reality the mystical shelter of trees in forests, the holiness of the warm earth in a shelter during the harshest of their winters, the ease of summer days like this, but in Northern Europe where they don't get a lot of these. We can sometimes forget the purpose of the things, the purpose of the container that we, we get used to, or even idolize them because we have replaced the need with the thing. There are so many things like that in our lives that make us cautious and careful. We don't want to disrupt too much. Everyone might not be ready. The right to freedom from an oppressive military or police with the right to own a gun. I think we get confused, frankly. So confused we don't know how to talk about it. Two different freedoms with very different purposes. And arguably, we are struggling with that as a nation, and our children are being sacrificed to the powers and principalities, Paul's language, when he finds it, the powers and principalities of this world. And to be clear, everyone's children. As we have read together in Heather McGee's book during Lent, things we thought or some thought could be contained in poor communities or rural communities or black communities spill out into all of our communities because we are all, they are all our children, whether we like it or not. Jazz comes from the blues and ragtime in New Orleans from the late 1800s, early 1900s, disruptive and dissonant at the time. There's great writing, as you also read about church music today, about is it music? Is it noise? It's really quite offensive, um, but you hear us talk about that around church music all the time. It's very offensive about music in general. Really disruptive, a different way, a different expression of lived reality. We often hear the domesticated version of it. It used to be in elevators, remember that? That doesn't happen as much anymore. Or when you were waiting on the phone, it doesn't happen as much anymore. So it can become kind of boring or domesticated, but it's actually profoundly disruptive. And you can kind of feel it in church because it's so different than what we usually do. And at its heart, jazz, where it comes from, speaks to the dissonances of what the world is supposed to be. Paul, the good guy, and what he knows will happen if he proclaims the truth in himself, and the truth of the freedom our bodies desire, our bodies want, that we want for our communities, right? That justice, this music does a little bit of that work for us. In many ways, producing harmony, beauty, possibility outside of the lines, proclaiming something for us, waking us up, as I hope this service does for all of us, setting things we know slightly a kilter for just a brief time, at its best resonating deep inside of us as we today literally take our faith out to these streets. Here we are, 
visible and framed and not hidden in this building. I wonder if it looks like jazz to the people driving by. I wonder if you are who they expect to see sitting in there. Like jazz, like life, persisting outside of the lines drawn for us. Bishop Reed, who is the Episcopal Bishop of West Texas, wrote this week after the shooting in the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, which is in his diocese. And the Episcopal News Service has carried this letter if you want to find it, it's, it's powerful. And he wrote it right after, I think the same day. He tells us not to give up or to give in to the violence. But then he interjects this, and this is where I stopped reading. He wrote, Jesus loves the little children. I couldn't read any further. Jesus loves the little children. That sweet little tune now turned into almost an accusation, a conviction, like the slave girl in Acts. What does it mean for us if Jesus loves those little children, all of the children in our schools and grocery stores and movie theaters and stadiums and all of their parents and relatives and caretakers as well? But we could just stick to children, right? Marion Wright Edelman has said for decades that she founded the Children's Defense Fund to take on poverty in this country by focusing on the children impacted by poverty. Because of course, she says with a straight face in 2022 still, of course we all love all of our children. This nation must love its children. Who are a people that don't love their children? We would do anything for them, she says, wouldn't we? Aren't all of the children, all of our children, wouldn't we feed them, educate them, do everything we could to protect them all? Well, we've been reading for two years now texts with Ebenezer Baptist Church that point to why this nation with so many Christians in elected leadership might not reflect the values we hold as Christians of love and compassion and care and healing across any boundaries of difference or power in witness to Jesus along the way. We now have more tools to think about how our society works from those that work together and how it can be changed. And it can feel like that spirit calling out the truth of Paul and Silas, are we ready? Can we do it? Where are we gonna land? You know this isn't gonna end well, you can hear Paul thinking. How did we end up in this spot? Paul had to be asking himself as he walked into that town with that child shouting behind him. These people are slaves of Jesus, the child cries out. What a beautiful accusation. And I hope you have someone call you out for that in your life. A lover of the people, one with Jesus as Jesus is with God. Maybe a painful calling out, but what a powerful calling out of the faithful of your faith. Jesus says to us in the gospel we just heard, read, that they may be one, as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, Jesus, praise to God, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus loves the little children, and you and me, and we are one. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes to take the water of life as a gift, the one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints, with you. Amen.